Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles open them up to the to the book of Jude, we're going to finish the book of Jude today. Last last week, I was able to get through about half of it. I'll give us some background so we kind of know where we're going to be picking uh, picking up at today. Um, I didn't quite make it through the uh, this last paragraph, so when we do get started, we'll get started with verse fourteen uh, to give a little bit of a background, though. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, had written this letter with the intention of it actually being a letter about, about just about the general salvation of individuals. He actually points out early in the book, though, that he felt the necessity or he felt the need to write to them about the apostates. Now, the apostate, an apostate is a person, um, and by definition, very easy to see nowadays, um, not always easy to detect, but very easy to see under some circumstances, under most circumstances. An apostate is someone who, under the guise of Christianity, will do what they do not for the purpose of extending the kingdom of God or according to his will, but will do what they do for the purpose of self-satisfaction. Okay? Uh, many churches today, they aren't motivated by the gospel. They aren't motivated by Christ. They aren't motivated by um, by the plan and purpose that God has set before the church. Many churches out there now are motivated by money. Um, uh, and I, I'm not going to stand up here and say I know where the line's at, but I can tell you one pastor in particular that um, he, he's got his own TV show. He <clears throat> has as many as 14,000 people show up in a stadium every Sunday, uh, lives in a $12.6 million house. Is he working for the kingdom? Uh, yeah. Uh, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. And uh, if there's a guy that, that is that is out there saying that they're working for the kingdom, but they live in a $12.6 million house, you kind of got to question the individual's motives. Um, nowadays, did you know that our, and I'm talking Southern Baptist here, our Southern Baptist seminaries, and we've had we've, we have had teachers, professors who have actually said this. We are turning out more lost pastors now than we ever have before. And do you know why? Because there's good money in it. If they can get in one of the big churches, there's good money in it. I remember and learned from my own dad, who. When he accepted Christ and went into the ministry, he went to a church, Goose Creek, and he preached for years, many times, just to my mom. Nobody else there. Um, when the association asked him, how much financial support do you need? He said, that's not up to me. And I've met a lot of pastors in my lifetime who that was their attitude. That is not up to me. The Lord's going to take care of me. What the Lord, what the Lord wills me to have, the Lord's going to give me. And I'm not going to say again. I, I don't know where that line's at. Is is a hundred thousand too much for a pastor? Is sixty thousand too much for a pastor? I think that's up to each individual pastor as far as what their need is, where they live, cost of living, all that stuff goes into that. So I'm not bringing judgment down on every pastor who makes a salary. 
But I am saying not every pastor out there is out for the purpose and the plan of God. Some of them are out there for the title. Some of them are out there for the prestige. Some of them are out there for the money. Some of them are out there, which in the end is the goal of every apostate for power and authority. Influence. Makes them feel satisfied when they feel like they have control over other individuals. Um, I've said this many times from up here, 32 years in the ministry. Did you, you know where, where do you think I have found most of my complications amongst the fallen people of the world are inside church? Hands down inside church. Good friend of mine who used to attend this church, he said, Christians were the only ones who shoot our wounded. And boy, isn't that the truth? When Jude spoke in the first part of this, that certain people have crept in unnoticed. This isn't individuals who come in and are obvious about their motives. I can tell you in my lifetime, there have been many people who have come into even this church in the last 20 years who presented themselves as if they were a spiritual rock. And it turned out that they were really just a pebble. And individuals who did things to other people that I I would have never imagined another Christian could do to another person. Seen a lot in 32 years. The fact is, apostates are real. Don't confuse apostates with apostles. An apostate is someone who basically claims the authority of an apostle once the the, um, influence of an apostle but does everything that they do for their own purpose. Jude also pointed out in the first half of this letter, um, he he calls them clouds without rain. He calls them uh, like waves of the sea casting up their foam. Um, In other words, these are individuals who seem to be doing things that are good, but everything that they do really accomplishes nothing for the kingdom of God. It's always accomplishing stuff for them, but never accomplishing stuff for the kingdom of God. It was alive and well 2,000 years ago. It's even more alive and well now. As we see the slippery slope, uh, folks, I I kid you not, even though I I will never say that what we see outside of the church is not a danger to the church. What we see outside of the church, the things that Satan's influencing, those things are dangerous. But I want you to know where the greatest danger comes from, and it's not from outside of the four walls of a church. The greatest danger comes within the four walls of a church. So how do we defend against this? Well, Jude Jude spent some time in the beginning talking about us, and he'll say it again here in just a little bit, knowing the word of God. Knowing the word of God is our greatest protection. And we've become individuals who, I just found myself complaining the other day because it took McDonald's like 10 minutes to get me fries. And, and I'm, I'm of that generation who, you know, you used to have to wait for the potatoes to be peeled, the potatoes to be sliced, and then the potatoes to be fried. It could take you 40 minutes to get French fries, right? Then when this concept of fast food came out, and I even caught myself saying, fast food isn't even fast anymore. Things aren't fast enough. They aren't fast. We're busy people. 
We wake up in the morning, we have a schedule ahead of us. We've got a lot of things to accomplish. And what is one thing that should never be eliminated from our schedule that is eliminated from our schedule? Studying the Word of God. Because I don't want you to answer this question out loud, but I want to ask you seriously. And I'm being genuine in asking you this question. How much time in a day do you spend with just you and Jesus? I get it. I've done a lot of studying over 32 years. A lot of it. This Bible, and I ain't bragging, I've read this thing cover to cover eight times. And probably many, many times more than that with a number of sermons that have been prepared over the last 20 years. And the one conclusion that I always draw is no matter how much I learn, I always come to this conclusion. I always realize just how much I don't know. It is a bottomless pit, folks. If I ever find myself in a spot where I'm so familiar with a passage of Scripture that I turn the page because I think I've read that 20 times, then where do I expect the depth of that well to lead? We can't spend too much time in the Word of God. For some of us, we spend so much more time on everything else than we do on the Word of God. And when it comes down to it, and folks, this is, this is not, this is not, I mean, the reason that the Bible was given to us, yeah, so we could know the plan and the purpose of God, but it really was given to us for protection. It was given to us for, for protection and instruction. And the world is falling fast. There are things going on if people have their eyes open. I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. I'm not going to be so bold as to step up like some people do and say that it will happen in my lifetime. But I can tell you this, the truth has become the lie. And the lie has already become the truth. Good has become evil, and evil has become good. We now punish the person who does good, and we exalt the person who does bad. These are absolutely signs of the times. How many of you guys heard Walmart is wanting to eliminate cash? You heard that? Is that not a big deal? It's a huge deal. The church has been threatened throughout its existence. But I stand here and tell you today, and I believe this with all of my heart, the church is under more threat today than it has ever been in its history. Look around. Denominations. Throwing more morality completely out of the window. Denominations now appointing homosexual pastors. It's happening. And then they put some twisted line of morality in it in some denominations, and they say, yes, we can appoint homosexual pastors as long as they're in a monogamous relationship. Women don't take this wrong. I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that women aren't supposed to be pastors. And it's happening across denominations. And before anybody gets mad at me, qualifications of a pastor are, 
is the husband of one wife. And I have yet to meet a woman, even though society's trying to redefine that. I have never met a woman who could be the husband of one wife. It's not a slap. It just means that it wasn't the role that God created you for. It doesn't take anything away from you. It means that God created you for a purpose. And you fulfilling that purpose is no different than a man fulfilling their purpose if it carries the, the title pastor. We have to be individuals who have our eyes open to what Jude's talking about. Because the church is being destroyed across this planet. You can look at it a different way. You can say the church is being purified. Which is kind of the truth. There's going to come a time, though, that there's a very, very hard line drawn. There are plans in the works to take away every tax benefit that a church has. Plans in the work to take all the deductions that pastors have away. Satan knows. He knows how to kill a church. And all it takes is is having individuals who claim to be Christians, who walk inside churches, who who introduce these heresies that deny Jesus Christ, that deny his word in order for this to be accomplished. It's happening. Right in front of us, it's happening. So as he talks about these apostates, in verse 14 is where we're going to pick this up. He says, And about these also, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Jude is referring to those that he mentioned up in verse 11 where he said, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. One thing that all three of those individuals had in common was they didn't care what God thought. Cain did what he did because he didn't like the way that God looked at the offerings. Balaam, for his own satisfaction, he wanted to turn Moab over to Israel so that Israel could be under their control. And why? Because the king of Moab offered him a big payday. God told him no, he didn't like it. Korah, a family that didn't agree with Moses being the leader of the people of Israel. They're the ones that caused the problem at the foot of Mount Sinai that encouraged them to build the golden calf. They didn't like who God put in place to be their leader. Those individuals are the ones who grumbled when God went to feed them and all he gave them was bread. The ones who grumbled when they didn't have water. The ones who grumbled about everything. Simply put, because they didn't care what God said or thought about anything. And I've said this before, folks. I I can have all of the compassion in the world for a way that a person feels. I've had migraine headaches since I was 16 years old. Never go away. Always had one. 
All they do is change in intensity. I went through those phases in my life where I'm looking at God going, why in the world would you do something like this to me? I believe it's to keep me human. It was. I believe it was to remind me that he is God, I am not. But whatever the reason is, do I have a reason to question it? Let me ask you a couple questions. Is my God cruel? Does he like to unusually punish people? Of course not. Question number two, does my God have the power to take away my migraine headaches? He does. Since he's not cruel and he has not taken away my migraine headaches, then there's only one conclusion to draw. He has a purpose in it. And whatever that purpose may be, should I be okay with it? Yeah. Unspoken prayer requests. We find ourselves in these challenges and these struggles in life. And above all, Jesus should be glorified in the midst of them. Because we have a God who could put a hedge of protection around you and could prevent you from suffering anything. But the bigger question is this. If we are really willing to honor, glorify, praise, and worship our God, what is there that he could allow to put us through that we wouldn't be okay with? Even though we're rebellious individuals, most of the time we're silent rebellious individuals. The word of God will tell us something very plainly and we will figure out some way to justify in our minds why we don't need to listen to it. I'm going to point out just a little bit. Everybody's included in one of these three groups that Jude talks about. Pay attention to what he says in 16. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Is there anything wrong with flattery? There's not. I mean, how many of you haven't told your wife, and shame on you if you haven't told, you, told your wife ever in your life how good she looks when she dresses up? That's flattery, right? Nothing wrong with that. He actually puts the problem at the last part of that. For the sake of gaining an advantage. In other words, if, if these individuals will flatter people for the purpose of getting them to, to lay down their guard. I mean, how bad could somebody be who's constantly telling you about all the good things you are, right? The key to this is watch out for selfish individuals. You may not be able to see, and I'm telling you folks, as a pastor... I've been hurt enough times in 32 years that it's, it's very difficult even for a pastor to find that line. Open yourself up, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. Close yourself up. You can no longer be who God's called you to be. Here's the conclusion that I drew after the last time that I was hurt pretty bad. Christians are just intended to suffer. 
And then it clicked. It all began to make sense to me. Paul told Timothy to suffer as a good soldier. Peter says that we wake up in the morning with the anticipation of suffering. Jesus even told us, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we have plenty of stuff to be afraid of. We have plenty of stuff to be cautious about. But as we're going to see in a little bit, we've got to be very careful in making sure that we never lose sight of the purpose that God has called us. Never lose sight of it. He says in 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last time there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of spirit. These are the ones who cause divisions. The Bible clearly speaks over and over and over again that we're supposed to be individuals who are of one mind the same mind, right? If you ever encounter a situation where the solution is destruction, I can guarantee you that you're not listening to God. God will never call for another human being to destroy another human being. He put government in place. He put justice in place. I'm not saying that, that capital punishment's not something that should happen. The Bible's very clear. Capital punishment is something that God did give the government the authority for. But I am saying that when we see a brother in sin, our intention shouldn't be to destroy them. When we see an individual who is hurting, our intention should never be to kick them while they're down. If we have some selfish, ambitious problem with another person, the Bible gives us very clear instructions as to how to deal with that. It's not to run to a group in the church and tell them how mad you are at somebody. You approach the person, yourself. These individuals do everything that they can to divide worldly-minded, devoid of spirit. Devoid of spirit means that the spirit just isn't there. How many of you guys have ever said something you wish you hadn't? How many of you ever said something you wish you hadn't even after God said, don't do it? And thank God, as Christians, when we grow a little older and a little wiser and we learn what discernment is and we learn not to open our mouths too quickly, we're actually able to eliminate a lot of those opportunities where we say things that we shouldn't have said. An apostate can't control themselves. They have no idea that what they're doing is destructive. They have no idea that what they're doing is worldly-minded, and they have no idea even what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is. So picture it this way. If a person never knew the dangers of drinking and driving, just how dangerous is that person? They're the most dangerous. People who have no idea what the consequences are to their actions are the most dangerous. 
people who have no idea what the result of what they're about to say is going to be are the most destructive in their relationships. These people are incapable because they're so blinded by their own selfish desires. Verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. These are the ones who cause divisions worldly-minded, devoid of spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do you build up yourself on your most holy faith? Study the word of God. There's several other ways that you can do this. Learn from your mistakes. Pay enough attention to realize where you don't have the faith and you need more. These are the ways we build up faith. And I can tell you this, folks, and I've said this many times before. I know it because I've been there. And I know it because I've been in the church long enough to see it. One of the biggest destructible things that can happen to a church is for a church to really think that the only thing that they're called to do is come to church once a week and sit in a pew, listen to a man talk. To a lot of Christians in the world, that's what church is. That's what Christianity is. And the truth is, are we really doing anything other than just showing our appreciation from Christ for Christ and what he's done for us when we go to church? Because we come here to worship, not check off the box. If we feel good about ourselves when we leave the church because we're proud of ourselves, because we drug ourselves out of bed and went, we missed the whole point. I'll even go so far as to say that it, if it isn't for the appreciation and the gratitude for what we know Jesus Christ has done for us, if there is any reason that we don't want to go to church, something's wrong. We're in a dark place. We're in a hole. We're somewhere that we've lost complete and total sight. heard people say, boy, I go to church, I listen to that preacher, but I sure don't get anything out of it. Do you think, honestly, that that's the preacher's fault? Because who do you really think is teaching? I'm standing up here and talking. I have no idea what God's doing in your life. I can plan an entire sermon, and I don't have to have any intended purpose whatsoever in that sermon because I know for a fact that if an individual's life is right with Christ, that the Holy Spirit's going to move that individual in whatever way he wants to. Preachers should preach the truth. They should make sure that everything they say is backed up with the scriptures. It should be spirit-led. But just like most every emotional difficulty I felt in my life. The one consistent thing that I've found is I'm always there. I 
I am the common denominator in every one of my problems. I am. Well, I just don't feel, I just don't feel like God's talking to me anymore. Because that's what God does, right? Because that's really beneficial to his plan and his purpose. And people all the time saying, boy, I'm really seeking God's will. Hide the will? Is that the game God plays? Is that the one that really pushes forward his purpose and his plan? Do you think that God's will is really that hard to find? Or do you think maybe what makes God's will so difficult to find is the fact that what God wants is in direct conflict with what we want? One of the biggest struggles of the church today, folks, is the church isn't growing. And I'm not talking about numerically. I'm talking about spiritually. I love to get messages from people. I love to get Bible questions from people. Used to happen all the time. Now rarely. Not that that's any real indicator of how much time somebody's spending in the Word. But with all that the Bible has to teach, if we're really curious individuals, how many questions should we have? lot. And I say this, folks, not to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm trying to point this out. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the big C church as a whole is not ready for it. It's not. When he said in that When he said in that verse, praying in the Holy Spirit, he's not asking for some charismatic motion of prayer. Praying in the Holy Spirit is doing what we've been told to do and praying without ceasing. In other words, we are in a constant contact with God. We are constantly, I kid you not, If could you imagine if these people who got this and actually started doing this, when they talked to God, they did it out loud? They'd call the straitjacket people. But that's the way that it should be. You don't necessarily have to be walking around talking out loud. But who says you can't constantly have a conversation? You want to improve your relationship with God? Talk to him about everything. You become much more sensitive when he talks back. And believe me, it can be an entertaining conversation. God has a sense of humor. He also has a sense of seriousness. He has the ability to literally lead us step by step through life. If we couple God's word and growing in our faith along with praying in the Holy Spirit, never disconnecting from God, those two things are the best protections you could ever ask for. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? I mean, I've stood up here many times before and said, there's nothing you can do that make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do that makes God love you more. 
When it says keep yourselves in the love of God, it's not talking about the way God looks at us. It's talking about the way we, we react to him. How many of you guys have ever in your lifetime did something consistently that you knew you wasn't supposed to do? That you knew wasn't God's will. You knew that he'd never give you permission to do it. And then answer this question for me. While you were in that spot, just how much did you talk to him? When you were in that spot, how much were you willing to open the Bible and read it? When you were in that spot, how easy was it to get up and go to church on Sunday morning? God's love is perfect, complete, unchangeable, immovable. If there's a problem in the relationship, I can tell you most assuredly that it is not his problem. Knock on doors. Haven't been able to do that lately because of COVID. But I'd knock on doors all the time, open the door, and ask people if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And many times they would say, well, I'm Catholic. And I learned very early on, the next question to ask him is, you a good Catholic or a bad Catholic? Surprisingly enough, they're not offended by that question. For them, good Catholic meant that they were doing everything they could, as misled and misguided as some of the doctrine is, they were doing everything that they could to make sure that their relationship with God was as strong as they imagined it could be. And we've fallen into this trap, folks. We've fallen into this trap in our culture that says we have to keep this list of do's and don'ts or we're individuals who are going to be unhappy. It isn't about the do's and don'ts. Jesus Christ died once for all. Your sins are forgiven. If you've placed your trust in him and you've truly placed your trust in him, then salvation is complete. It's finished. But the question is, from that point forward, do we live our life out of acknowledgement of who he is and out of gratitude for what he's done? Or do we live our lives in a half-hearted manner? Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Waiting anxiously. To anxiously anticipate. I can't wait. How many people can really say that? I can't wait until Jesus Christ counts my last breath or until he comes and gets his church. I hope I get to see the rapture. I don't know that I will get to see the rapture. Rich Mullins, a very not well-known musician. I pointed this song out quite a few times. He wrote a song named, it was called Elijah. And the song says, when I die, I want to go out like Elijah with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. And when I look back on the stars, it'll be like a candlelight in Central Park and it won't break my heart to say goodbye. We all have a life to live out. 
We all have a purpose and a plan to fulfill. We all have our appointed time to live. We all have an appointed time to die. Are you living your life in such a way that you're anticipating the fulfillment of eternal life? Just how real is eternal life to us? I've been in those spots. My dad used to say, I want to go to heaven, but if if a train's leaving soon and they're selling tickets, I'm not buying one today. I get it. I stand up here and say all the time, one of my biggest worries for my family, I don't want to leave my family behind. I want to meet all my grandkids. I want to do the wedding ceremony for all of my kids. I want to grow old with my wife. But folks, if I want any of those things more than I want to see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, eternal life in Christ, there's a problem. Am I supposed to love my wife more than I love Jesus? Am I supposed to love my kids more than I love Jesus? Grandkids? Am I supposed to love anything more than I love Jesus? There was a hymn that was sung, it was written many, many years ago. It is well with my soul. The song Jesus Take the Wheel. I don't believe that the full capacity of what that song could mean was ever grasped. Because the truth is, in many of our lives, Jesus is a passenger. We like having him around. We want him around, right? I mean, he's nice to have when we have a health problem. We get to lean on him, right? He's nice to have when we're facing those struggles and those challenges. I always called him the raincoat God in those particular times. The Jesus who gets hung up behind the door until he's needed. And then when he's needed, we'll pick him, we'll take him down and put him on. And then as soon as he sees us through the difficulty that we needed to be seen through, as soon as the sky clears up and the clouds are gone, he gets taken off and put right back on the coat hook. Verse 22 says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. These are the three individuals, three types of individuals. I want you to pay close attention to this. We're going to read straight through them. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Three different groups of people. One group, first group, have mercy on some who are doubting. Christians, the only ones who shoot their wounded. Church can be cruel. It's not supposed to be passive, and we've allowed the church in many ways to become passive. It's not any of my business, right? Turns out it is my business. And if somebody does something that's harmful to me or harmful to my family, 
as much as I want to do in the flesh, what I would want to do in the flesh, the right thing is is to have mercy on those individuals. People that I think are Christians, it's much more beneficial to try to help somebody back up, to try to help somebody grow in their faith than it is to destroy them. Over 20 years here in Highland, I've had individuals who've come to me and said, you need to kick them out of the church. And I'm like, well, what's the benefit of that? The truth is, who needs more of Jesus than the person who's the troublemaker or the person who's constantly falling or the person who's constantly failing? Who needs instruction more than that person? So the church desiring to be the church will open the door and boot them out? People choose to leave on their own recognizance. That's entirely up to them. But the church should never be in the business of kicking people out. Because those are the people who are confused. 23 said, save others, snatching them out of the fire. These are the individuals who are just lost. The individuals who really don't know any better. The individuals who are not necessarily apostates. They can certainly accomplish some of the tasks of an apostate, but they are not necessarily an apostate. They're just lost. And another huge mistake the church has been making, we expect the lost person to act like the church. How crazy is that? The biggest point's this. We also cannot become so consumed with protecting ourselves that we stop having compassion for lost people. We can't have a desire to protect ourselves because honestly, to protect yourself, there is one way that I can guarantee that you protect yourself. I've been telling people this through COVID. Individuals who are who are just going crazy because they're afraid of this COVID. And my my advice to them was, if that's really the life you want to live, you need to wrap yourself in bubble wrap and lock yourself in your house. But what's the benefit in that? None. We protect ourselves by growing in our faith. We protect ourselves by praying constantly. We protect ourselves by keeping ourselves open to the instruction that God has to offer. It is not okay for us to protect ourselves by separating ourselves from the lost. It's not okay for us to protect ourselves by pounding into the ground the threat. He even goes so far, and these are absolutely the apostates of the third ones. On some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Why the fear? You notice he didn't remove mercy from the equation. Mercy is still there. We're supposed to be individuals who are patient, individuals who are forgiving, individuals who are encouraging individuals, not being people who isolate ourselves or destroy people or separate ourselves from the lost. That's not who we're supposed to be. But when we're dealing with individuals who are apostates, we better be careful. In my office, I have several books in there that are dangerous. There's a couple black magic books in there. Does that surprise you? 
the New World translation of the Bible is in there. The Jehovah's Witness Bible. I have a Book of Mormon in there. Is it smart for anybody just to run there and pick one of those up and start reading it? No. If you pick up a black magic book, you better be prayed up. You better be faithed up. And you better approach it with 100% Jesus because it is dangerous. We shouldn't be putting ourselves in situations, folks, without being very cautious because Satan is not only a liar, he's good at it. Twenty-four and twenty-five. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and now and forever. Amen. Just focus on this. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Jesus deserves the pinnacle of your pyramid. He's provided salvation for us through his own sacrifice, through his own struggle, through his own temptation, through his own difficulties. He brought salvation to us by taking our sin upon himself. He deserves that place in our lives. He's earned it. And everything that we say and everything that we do should show that he's in that spot. And I'll tell you a little secret, which shouldn't be a secret at all. As long as Jesus is in that place, you will see everything in your life change. Will it be without its struggles? No. As a matter of fact, in some cases, those struggles may multiply. But it still kind of boggles the mind how Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is light and my burden is easy. This man hated by his people, consistently trying to chase him to death, always trying to trip him up, always sought out, knowing that he was going to take the sins of the world upon his back, knowing that he would physically go through what he was going to go through before he was nailed to that tree. How can that man say, my yoke is light, my burden is easy? And it's really pretty simple. When God's put in that, that spot where he's been given dominion over your life, majesty, glory, authority, then we live to seek only one. And that's his pleasure. We will do what we do because we're trying to make God purposeful. Does it really matter what other people think? It really doesn't. Most people are going to look at you pretty good. Some people are going to look at you pretty bad. Some people don't need to... I joked about, I know we're a little bit late, but I joked a little bit about on Xbox, my gamer tag used to be Hillbilly Preacher. Couldn't get nobody to play with me. That was literally the definition of hang the dog, the bone around the person's neck to get the dog to play with them. 
still yet. I changed it. Changed the gamer tag. Took preacher out of it. Now I'm getting into games, and then people say, what do you do for a living? It's like I'm a preacher. Oh, hey, um, I have, uh, dinner's on. You get two hours into a conversation. They're cussing like a sailor. Then they find out you're a preacher. Oh, I am so sorry. I'm like, for what? You think I'm the one you need to apologize to? Be you. Just wish it was a different you. People aren't going to like you because you're a Christian. And it's going to get harder and harder to be liked as a Christian. But we really should be okay with that. Because at the end of the day, when we lay our head on our pillow, it should be more about just how well did I serve him today? Just how faithful was I? Just how much was I careful about what I said, careful about what I did? Just how much did I endure? Just how much did I proclaim the gospel? Just how much did I give myself to Jesus to influence the kingdom? And if you're doing all you can do in your power and in Christ's power, there is nothing to be disappointed in. Yoke is light and burden is easy. Accomplishing the will of God in your life, that's where joy comes from. That's where peace comes from. That's where that life that seems to be so elusive, life at its fullest comes from. Knowing God, hearing God, and being as faithful as we can be in God and thanking him for the errors of our life where we can't be faithful. I want to ask you this question. One, have you ever placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I'm not asking you to come up here and tell me you want to be saved because I asked you to. The Holy Spirit provokes you. I've had people say, well, how am I going to know? You'll know. <laughs> You'll know. But if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, or if you're here today and you have placed your trust in Jesus, let's be real just for a few seconds, okay? We're fallen human beings. Jesus gave us grace because he knew that we would make mistakes. There isn't one person on the planet who goes to church on a Sunday morning who shouldn't be able to say, I have areas in my life that need improvement. I have areas in my relationship with Jesus that need improvement. He won't put more on you than you can handle. He's not going to expect more of you than, than he's going to expect of you. But the fact is, folks, he expects a little bit from all of us. And I can ask nothing more than during this invitation time, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you during this message, just be faithful in the response. Have a conversation with him. Refresh that mercy and grace that he provided for you a long time ago. Focus on what it is that he exposed. And do everything in your power and his to make it better. He asks, honestly, folks, for nothing more. There will always be something else. But that's what sanctification is. That's where we're supposed to be. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello... You can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. 
We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.